0: Hello and welcome to Crime Time FM. I'm Paul Burke and I write about crime fiction. And here I interview authors about their latest novels. My guest today is debut Scottish writer Callum McSorley, whose dark and humorous Glasgow crime novel, Squeaky Clean, came out in February, published by Pushkin Vertigo. It's always really great to chat to a debut author. But one quick note before I do talk to Callum. On the 16th of May at Waterstones in Islington at 630 I'll be in conversation with Paris based American author Jake Lamar about his new Harlem set jazz noir novel, Viper's Dream. Tickets are available from the store. But here's Callum McSorley on Squeaky Clean. Hello and welcome to Crime Time FM, Callum. Hi, thanks very much for having me. Ah, pleasure. Um, well, look, we're going to be talking about your debut novel, which is Squeaky Clean. Uh, but let's chat about your road to publishing and a little bit about your background. I mean, I'm kind of guessing, I mean, you're still a young man. I'm kind of guessing that you always wanted to be a writer. Yeah, yeah, I did.
1: I I mean, I started scribbling stories when I was tiny, loved going to the bookshop and the library. Um, eventually, after school, ended up, I studied... Um, journalism and creative mm, writing right and um, and then I was yeah trying to get a job in journalism for a couple of years which was very difficult and just, just didn't work out like it didn't um but d- during that time when I was at uni and for a while after I worked in a car wash mm. uh, just to earn uh, some extra cash because I was interning and things like that Um and that's that's obviously like where kind of the idea for the story came from that was that's yeah. so but
0: you were writing all this years. time yeah
1: yeah um well actually like after my dissertation I just didn't write for about two years not not, right. uh, not yeah. fiction i I, I was con- I was doing this journalism stuff and trying to do that and I was focused hmm. on that and I didn't write fiction for a couple of years and um wait i I, I was I didn't, I didn't get a job in journalism I went through a couple other jobs ended up leaving work for a wee bit and it was at that point this was this was like 2015 or so right and it was at that point that i decided to start writing again like uh, writing short stories to see if i could get anything published um and that's kind of i feel like i have kind of two starts like when i went to uni to do to do creative writing and then in mm. 2015 when i i decided to try and actually get published is is was that my kind of second start i would say let's look at that then
0: cuz are we talking about the story you had published in gutter to start with Yes, uh-huh, yes. Right. so tell us a little bit about that then so
1: uh this was so the job I left was working on the railway and night shift. I was doing about fifty hours night shift right. and, and it was crushing me. I did it for about four months uh quick because I just couldn't keep going. Then I was reading uh, a murakami book had come out and it was it was his first novel, but it was the first time it had ever appeared in English that had been translated and right. I picked it up and I was reading it. And he has this bit in the introduction about when he started writing, that he had this weird moment when he was at a baseball game. He just had this sudden idea that he could write a book and he went off and did it. Right. And I was like, I was like, that sounds brilliant. That sounds lovely. <laughs> and also like the, the book, uh, it's called Hear the Wind and It has this really deceptively simple style. Yeah, I, I don't it, yeah. know if you're familiar, but like, yeah, not a lot happens in the story and it's told really simply. And I was, I was, and I felt like, like inspired. I was like, I could, I could write something like this, you know, like, um, and so I wrote this story, um, a short story called The Sixth Track, which was about working on the railway. Right. And it, was part, it was part autobiographical, part fiction, kind of like that movie, Cammy book. And it ended up in Gutter Magazine, which is, you know, this really great uh, literary fiction magazine in Scotland. And it was, it was um, yeah, if that hadn't happened, I don't know if I would have kept going. It was like deceptively, it was almost like deceptively easy. It put me into that, it gave me so much confidence but like a false idea of how simple the process of getting published. So you, was. Yeah, you just had and this I'm idea,
0: like, then the publishing was easy, and it yeah, uh, be, uh, yeah. It, it, <laughs> it took a long time thereafter
1: <laughs> to get published again. And I've never, I've never got anything else in gutter since, like despite trying <laughs> quite a few times. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I was de- definitely put back in my place after that. But well, the one
0: thing I do know... I kept
1: going, you know, I yeah. enjoyed it so much.
0: Um, I'd say the one thing I do know from talking to writers is that you have to learn to deal with the ten rejections that come with the one acceptance, you know, that's the, the nature of the absolutely. beast. Absolutely.
1: And I think when, when the acceptance comes first
0: and the rejections after,
1: it's a shock it's to the system. a bit awkward. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. But you got some stories then in New Writing Scotland Um. Then Okay, so it's not a totally smooth path, but interesting that, of course, the meantime is, anybody's got to eat. And if you've got a family to look after, that's another complication there. So you've got to get jobs and do things. And you mentioned working on a railway and a few other things. I mean, give us an idea about some of the things you did over the couple of years while you were building up to the novel.
1: Um, So, yeah, there was the railway thing. I ended up working uh, for a decorating company for a while, which is that's what actually led into the railways, because we moved from decorating houses into refurbishing I ended up on the railway Um from there you know I, was, I started writing after that but I ended up then I was working as a kitchen porter mm. at a Spanish restaurant and that, that was a really full-on job so I actually I was working on a novel at that time and I made like this plan so like on my days off I would write and I would do a thousand words on a day off when I when I was on a single shift I would do 500 words before or after the shift depending what time it was and if I was on a double shift, I wouldn't write. That would be like my days off from writing. Yeah, yeah. I, I stuck to this really rigid shape and, and got it written over like a few months. That's uh, probably
0: the key, isn't it? Get in a, a shape and a pattern, and yeah, saying like uh-huh. I will definitely do it because it's the it's the doing a bit and then leaving it and that, that that takes forever, of course. So when you worked in the car wash, I'm assuming you did not steal at any point somebody's car and have a jolly. I did not. I can. I can actually drive. Where did it. the that was where the idea came from, though. Yeah. Yeah, one hundred
1: percent. Was um, it was just like like obviously you just see lots of things when you're working there. You meet a lot of different yeah, right. people, and you know, um, you you clean up some weird stuff sometimes. Like not not anything <laughs> as bad as like in the book, but just like <laughs> just just some things that make you question. Nothing like, involving huge quantities of blood. No, no, nothing like that. But certainly, <laughs> certainly, suspicious powders and things that are in the nooks right. and nukes of people's car and stuff like uh, and uh, a few, a few of the things that happen in the book happened while I was working there. Okay, like, yeah. Um, there's a there's a bit in the book where a man comes by selling stolen stuff. He then walks down the street. He tries to break into a car and gets lifted by the police like immediately because they're right across the street. Yeah. And, then, and that that literally <laughs> happened. That was that was I a funny moment. Um, the bit where uh, the woman leaves her kid in the car and goes away to the shops. Right. That, that, that really that happened. happened. as well. And, yeah, my boss was really angry about that. Like, but Likewise,
0: I can understand why, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> th- it didn't turn into a big argument. He was just a bit snide with the woman. Yeah, right? but, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. he's not, he wasn't. Although he, the, the character, Sean, is loosely based on him. He's not, my, my actual boss does not have, like, such a temper or anything <laughs> like that. He's, he's, so he's not going to sue you over this book? No, no, I, th- I think there's enough <laughs> made-up. <laughs> Actually, actually, I went to see him just yesterday uh, to right. drop a copy. Uh, so I, I went back to the car wash just the end of last year to tell him about it. Like I hadn't been there in about eight years or something. So mm. it was quite nice to say hello to him and, and see how the, the car wash is doing. He actually is, um, he's he's a bit of an artist, right? He's like, he's like decorated the whole car, the whole unit. I didn't put oh, this in the book because I thought it was actually just too strange a detail. <laughs> but like he's he's covered the whole thing in all these weird geometric patterns, and he's like panelled mosaics up, up right. the and in parts of the ceiling and stuff. Like it's, it's amazing. Like I I took some pictures of it while I was there. Yesterday. Yeah, you should post those. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to people, but I, I, I didn't actually include that in the story because I
0: thought it's just it's almost yeah, too it's...
1: weird. To like it, it would kind of take <laughs> it's away. From... There's
0: enough wacky stuff going on in yeah. the book anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I tell you what, though, the one thing about getting jobs and doing different things in different places and meeting people all day long is you get stories, don't you? And you just indicated that, obviously, with the woman who left the baby in the car and went shopping. At a car, yeah, yeah, which, you know, quite Absolutely. something. Yeah. I
1: think, you like, work, you know, you meet lots of people that you wouldn't maybe necessarily become friends with in any other way, you know what I mean? They become right. friends, but you probably wouldn't have met them down in the pub and hung out with them mm. otherwise, you know, so you meet people from all different all different lives and all different opinions and beliefs. And, and then, yeah, there's, there's something about the kind of minu, like the, excuse me, the, the like minutia, the everyday grind of certain jobs that I like to write about. I find it mm. easy to write about. Like, um, you know, I've, I don't think there's a job I've had that I haven't written about in some way, like right. short story wise. I would say this is the first time that I've like turned something into a full novel this way. But um, I've got like, uh, I have I had a short story about uh, housekeeping because I was a housekeeper for a while in a hostel and just all the different wee things that you learn about a job that you don't know. I just mm. find it interesting.
0: And what, what other
1: people do, I don't, I don't know. Well, but like, you
0: know what I think it is, though? I think people can identify with it. Because we're all out there doing these jobs and we've done this and done that. I mean, I've done, a hundred, you know, a hundred different things in my life as well. And it's it's one of those things where you can identify with all those details. So it's interesting from that point of view. But do you kind of, you collect characters then in a sense? You know, does, I mean, you sent about these incidents and then I can see some of those in the book, as you say, but. What about the idea of actually seeing somebody and thinking, you know what, those traits are interesting. I'll keep a mental note of that.
1: Yeah, you're 100%. Like, it's <laughs> it's, it's not necessarily always like a whole person, but maybe like certain mannerisms they have right. or things that they say. Like I had, when I was on the railway, I had uh, one of our supervisors, he, like, he had quite a wave of words and he would use certain phrases that are just, they were funny. He was a really funny guy and there's just like things that you'd say or the way that he would say them. And they, I've definitely kind of like borrowed some of his kind of, is jokes here and there for different characters down the line. Um and yeah, like I say, my boss at the car wash as well. Like the uh, like, he smoked a lot of grass and loved Russia Today and <laughs> stuff like that. And I was just he was he's an interesting guy. He had it he had a really interesting kind of background, which I, I didn't include in the story because I didn't really want to like take his history and like yeah, yeah, as, you know taken. like yes. like the kind of more surfacey stuff that I felt like was it was quite, he had like these kind of wacky political opinions and stuff that he got from watching a lot of Russia Today and smoking a lot of grass, you know, yeah. like that kind of developed his opinion. But like, um, and he, he loved like gangster stories, he was a huge Sopranos fan. And so right. when, when we weren't when we weren't working, it was really like wet or cold and nobody was coming in, we'd sit and watch the Sopranos. So it was the first <laughs> time I ended up, probably at like work there, I watched the whole thing through by the end. And, it, and I, yeah. I love The Sopranos too now. I thought it was brilliant. Like it was Yeah. Just, well, no, it's oh, a brilliant series,
0: brilliant. but it's also, it's kind of good for your product, you know, for what you're producing as a crime writer then. Yeah. So on that basis, I mean, who are your sort of influences? Were you all sort of a crime fan? Yeah. That's yeah.
1: I, I I love like, a, I love Louise Welsh. Um, right. I uh, She she was a teacher when I was at uni for one year. So I oh, I yeah. I'd met her like a long time ago, uh, but it was only after she left that I started reading her stuff, actually, though. And then, um, I loved uh, The Cutting Room. It was brilliant. Mm. I think it, was, it was the first time I'd read that sort of story set in Glasgow. Yeah. Right. I read, like, you know, noir stories and crime stories, but like a contemporary noir set in Glasgow it was new to me. And um, the way she kind of brought the city to life, and I could recognise it, but it also, it also made it strange and interesting, mm. even though I knew these places and stuff like that. Yeah, she gives and it,
0: it was, this kind of gothic feel, doesn't she? Which definitely, yeah. You know,
1: there was something about that I just thought, I, I just clicked with me and it kind of opened my eyes and I was like, you know, I could write, like I could I could use Glasgow as a setting and make it, like, because when you live in a place, maybe it seems quite mundane all the time and you're kind of like, mm. you well, know, you read all these kind of hard-boiled stuff set in LA and it's like exotic and dramatic. And I think reading her work made me think, well, you can actually do this with the place you live in, you know, like, yeah and, and your knowledge of it can actually add to that, you know? That's a good point because you can
0: take the place right? you live in quite for granted, can't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm if sure don't Al- careful, Alistair Gray not have that very famous quote about, about art and the place you live that no nowhere's really real until somebody yeah. brings it into the brings world of art, you know, brings yeah. it to
0: life that way. Makes perfect sense. Do you feel there's anything around you know, Tarte Noir, it's like a big thing that people talk about. In fact, it's been referred to on your book as well, you know, some of the blurbs yeah, yeah, said tart noir. Do you feel part of something in that sense?
1: Yeah, it's or uh, yeah, I'd like to think that I'm approaching that anyway. That I could do something. I know it's a really broad umbrella, and like, so it encompasses so much. Yeah, now. it is. It is. It's, you know, you can almost describe anything that way. Like that, it that leans into crime. You know, as because I, I remember this. Oh, who is it? Has a book about tartan noir, and they ha- they spend a lot of time talking about how what we call tartan noir isn't noir at all. Yeah, right. Good as, point. As in the actual noir genre. Like most of it, when we say Tartan Noir, we mean crime set in yeah. Scotland. Like just we, the shorthand, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I think it started as a joke. James Elroy, according mm. like the term, when he was speaking to uh, Ian Rankin, I think right. it came from. I think they were talking about it and, and he said, and Ian Rankin said to him, oh, I write a kind of, you know, crime noir set in Scotland. And he said, oh, Tartan Noir. And it just <laughs> like, it started as a joke between them. And it just became like, you know, a kind of
0: branding, you know. Yeah, I think it makes up, people yeah. sit up and pay attention, though. Um, what about Irish films like *In Bruges* or I love in *The Bruges. Guard*? Yeah, I love. love I
1: love, uh, and and *The Banshees of Inisherin*. Although it's right, yeah, a different yeah, style of thing with the same director, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah, I love both of those *In Bruges* in particular. It has it has this such brilliant blend of darkness and humor, and that that is kind of, that's what I like. I think *The Sopranos* has that too. Actually, it's a really funny show can be really grisly at the same time. Yeah, true. And both, yeah, both both. Um, they, they walk that line really well. Yeah, and that's kind of what I want
0: to do. That's like ideally. Well, that's interesting because we'll get to that. We'll talk about that once we tell people a little bit about the novel because I am interested in that aspect of your work. And that's why I mentioned some of this kind of humorous dark stuff as well, you know, which I think is, is a factor that maybe feeds in a little bit as well. Um, let's look at the publishing process, though, just, just as we are now. We're coming to the point where the book is about to be published. I mean, when this goes out, your book would have already been published but I did see your mum out in a shop the other day. <laughs> so it's out in Scottish shop. Yeah, she's, she's still there. blogging <laughs> it to people. Yeah, yeah. Just handing it to folk as they're uh, they trying try to go. You need there, this one. Frozen.
1: You might like this. Yeah.
0: But of course, and you had this piece in the Glasgow times, um, you've got your own blog tour running. I'm just wondering what it's all like. I mean, are these exciting times or is it a bit scary? Very. Uh, yeah. I'm nervous. I'm excited about everything. Like, uh,
1: the book being in the shop was, was quite a moment. That's like something you oh, kind yeah. of dream about. yeah. And it was kind of on it because obviously it's the officially, it's not out till Thursday, but it's kind yeah. of shipped early. So I wasn't kind of expecting that. I just, I got sent a message from uh, an old uni friend with a picture because he'd been into a guy old Streetwater Stones and bought it. And I was like, oh, well, it's like, it's actually out. It's so on the shelves. Like I had to go and see it myself, you know. <laughs> uh, and yes, Great cover, like, by the way. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? I love it. Like it looks great. Like it looked cool when I saw the proof copy. But then with the
0: hardback, because it's got, like, the proper finish on it and everything, yeah. it's
1: amazing. Like, very happy yeah, for bit. sure.
0: And, of course, Chris Brookmeyer, I mean, Chris Brookmeyer said it was, well, well, he said something like, you know, I'm from the first page. I knew I was in good hands. He did, yeah. That it must was, be, that must yeah, be. Yeah, that was
1: that was astonishing. That was, like, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I like his books. I particularly like, I like his historical fiction, actually, that he does. Right, the, yeah, uh, that's Bruce interesting. Heisman under uh, Ambrose Parry, the pen name. Yeah, I love those I stories. think
0: they're actually, fine they're books, great. they are.
1: I've written, you know, like a few unpublished novels now. Like this, right. was like the the fourth book that I'd written, but like um, the third book that I wrote was a historical crime fiction set in Glasgow, and I got I got shortlisted for uh, the big issue crime writing contest, which I then right. I met, met my agent through. Yeah, so I, although it never got published, that was like a big stepping stone, you know, like to um, to actually get in there in the end
0: ah that's interesting is that something that might see the light of day sometime down the road or is it sort of part of the learning experience
1: maybe i kind of i would it was certainly like compared to like my f- the first two attempts it was certainly the third one was definitely a good step better right You know, i think that's why i ended up you know getting shortlisted and then you know uh, emily my agent really liked it and signed me on it Um so maybe return to it but i, I do kind of tend to just keep moving forward Right. even when it came to short stories if I couldn't I know some people keep trying with stuff like for years and years and years but I always found if I couldn't if I tried like four or five magazines and it was mm-hmm. I would just move on to the next thing you know so I don't know maybe one day I'll look at it again and see but I've, well, I've got lots of stuff that I want to do at the moment so I yeah. think rather than stepping back to
0: that I'm just gonna gonna push on for a while. No I think that's healthy attitude one thing then before we get on to the book um tell us a little bit about the Herman Keston Writing Scholarship.
1: Ah, so I, I ended up on that. this was when I was doing my internship. So I was, I was an right. intern with the International Network of Street Papers. So they're like, they're the umbrella charity for like the big issue. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's, there's magazines like the big issue all over the world, essentially, and they bring them together. And there's the big is obviously a really well-funded one, but there's really tiny ones. So mm-hmm. they have this kind of sharing aspect where the big issue might share some of their big stories with the smaller magazines for free for them to put in their pages. Right, I see. So I was I was an editorial assistant. I would help pick stories, help them. Um, I worked with a journalist. We would sometimes write stories together. We would sometimes, we would go through all the other street papers, find stories we could share about. Um, and while I was there, the, the Herman Keston Scholarship that year were looking for journalists who were working in areas of like poverty and human rights, which fitted what I was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I ended up with a scholarship. It was really great. Nuremberg like is such a wonderful place. I keep wanting to go back uh, someday and meet, especially because I, I lived with a family while I was there. I'm still in touch right. with They were like my German family. They were very nice. and I had a great time over there and met lots
0: of interesting people. Well, it's nice to make those links, and I'm sure that was one heck of an experience. Um, I think now would be a good time to talk about the novel, actually. Introduce Squeaky Clean for us, please, Callum. So, uh, "Squeaky Clean"
1: is uh, a kind of crime thriller set in a car wash. So, um, Davy Burnett, a protagonist or one of our, our protagonists, he um, he has a court date to get to. He borrows this car that's been left for a clean, and while he's driving to the courthouse, the car gets he gets hijacked, beaten. The car gets set on fire. It turns out that the the man he stole the car from is Paolo McGuinn, a very um well-known, dangerous gangster in Glasgow's East End. So now Davy is in trouble because he now owes the man about 300 grand, which he has no way of getting. So Paolo takes over the car wash and begins to use it as like a front. But also Davy gets dragged into his uh, his misdeeds, essentially. And the flip side yes. of the coin, we have Detective Alison McCoyst, who, um who is in disgrace after kind of, after letting a chance to put Paolo away, slips past her. She makes an error and he, um, she, she imprisons essentially the wrong person, really. And, um, and so she realises something weird's going on at this car wash and sees it as a chance of redemption to kind of get herself back into the good graces of police Scotland and herself, essentially.
0: Yeah, I think that's perfect, actually, because we've got the two strands there. And as you say, they come together in this story around the car wash. And that's where we've got these two characters going. Let's start with Glasgow. Um, I I'm, I'm, Some listeners will know already, I have this thing about good writing about the underbelly of a place like Glasgow in this case. It generally comes from a place of love. And you obviously grew up in Kilbride and you went to university at Strathclyde yeah, yeah, and you East live Colbert. in the city. So is that true for you? Yeah, certainly. I moved... I moved... Like
1: uh, East Kilbride is really close to Glasgow. It's it was a short right. train journey away. Um, so I was always in and out of town when I was younger, but I moved to Glasgow finally when I was about 18, 19 and lived there for 10 years uh, in the city. And yeah, I love Glasgow. It's, it's like um, There's loads of great cities in Scotland, but that's like the place that I feel is home. I would always kind of return to, you know. Yeah. And I, I I, now live in the, in Rutherglen, which is... Uh, it's also outside of glasgow but closer he's covered right? i'm just right. uh, in the south south <laughs> like not too um, far down the road yeah yeah I'm still a short journey away and i still go to glasgow all the time but like obviously when I, when I was at uni i was living there and going out in town all the time and it's a great place uh with brilliant artistic heritage interesting history as well like quite yes.
0: a not so good history honestly like yeah yeah, but, yeah, true. you can say that about some of the major cities, yeah. Yeah, 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 there's a lot of them in Britain, obviously. Do you see it then? I do you see, see Glasgow as a backdrop, or do you think it's actually a character in the novel? I don't know as far as a character, but certainly it mm. stands out as a backdrop
1: to me. Um, I, would say, I would actually say the last novel, I wrote, the historical one, I'd done so much research into Glasgow in the right. 19th century that I would say yeah, the city was much more present as a character in that, whereas this, yeah, is... Um, It's a little bit more in the background, but I think the way people speak, the way they relate to each other is is also kind of part of living Mm -hmm. in the city. It's where it comes from, the language.
0: Maybe that's the point I'm getting at is that there's enough of it. It's like Liverpool. There are certain places that have a character and because they have that character, they, they kind of make their presence felt in the novel, if you like. So the people and the culture and the history, as you pointed out, it's all there with Glasgow. So Glasgow is a special enough place to have that kind of story, which, you know, adds to the character and everything else that carries it
1: yeah yeah I think so yeah I think it has this people probably have perceptions of Glasgow and what it's like and um, yeah
0: uh, because it
1: does it has this kind of character I think it's people as well kind of you know like people have expectations what Glaswegian people are like and things like that known kind of sometimes that's positive and sometimes that's negative yeah that kind of goes beyond the city itself so yeah, when you maybe when, if you're not from Glasgow, and you read the book, and you know, maybe it'll affirm some things and change your mind about other things, and but yeah, it, it has this um, it has this presence already that when you mm-hmm. set a
0: story in it. Um. For me, it just it just confirms it's a great location for a novel. Um, when it comes to the colloquial the language, and 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 did you consciously write for a wider audience, or were you aware of that? Like, how much of the local dialect and that do you put in the novel? how much do you kind of avoid getting to, I mean, you could put it in a kind of language that nobody outside of Glasgow could understand in yeah. a way. That's what I'm trying to get at. I mean,
1: yeah. i'm aware of you of that? In squeaky clean, I would say I went pretty far with the dialect The dialect is mostly phonetic Scots. Mm. So like I went, I probably went pretty as far as I would probably go with the dialect. And um, I, the only, like I considered, I considered doing the whole narration like that as well, which um, right. you can see in some books, of course, like, um, James Kelman and Great yeah. Armstrong's the young team because it's because that's written in first person. The whole thing's written in Scots. Mm. Um, I considered doing that, but I don't know. In the, in the end, I thought it would maybe it was it was maybe too difficult to sustain the full thing like that. And then, so what I what I decided to do was like, do do standard English for the narration, but have it in a fairly low register that wasn't mm. to sit really high above the way the characters spoke. I wanted the narrator to be close to them. So I I, I try to kind of, the narrator kind of speaks like them, I would say, but only in standardized form, but like their pattern and the the way they talk is the same almost. Mm. Yeah. And then then I went for full phonetic Scots in the dialogue,
0: which, yeah, some people will maybe find tricky at first, but I think once you kind of get into it, it just, Mm. yeah. I think that's it. It's always the case. I mean, it's the case with the Brontes as well. You know, you've got to get into it, but once you get into it, it's fine. It's just a question of doing that. And that it, it's more interesting for that and having that local flavour. So I think that Squeaky Clean's a fairly straightforward story and that's not disparaging in any way at all because it reminds me of the old Noirs. That That's what Noirs were, you know, because it's about the characters and how they handle the situations that they get into. And that seems the fascinating aspect. Is that what you would say with this?
1: Yeah, I would say I wanted the characters to be um, strong. I wanted the strong characters, the plot and... Um... Well, the, the thing with the plot is that Squeaky Clean started as a novella. Right. So I, I just finished all these edits on this big historical thing. I wanted to do something mm. totally different and it was fun and I didn't have to research and I just like... Right, i with you. I could just type away, you know, like... Um, and that's how Squeaky Clean came about. So I wrote it really quickly. It was it was really short. It was like 25,000 words. And um. so Daniel, my editor at Pushkin, had re- re- read it in that form, really liked it wouldn't hmm. sell a novella so it was like I think that he said that he thought there was loads of scope to make a novel and when I went back to try and rewrite it I didn't I didn't immediately think of plot what I thought about what I looked at the characters and I, I, I immediately picked out Croker and McCoyst and thought there's so much more I could do with them I could expand them massively because they were really uh McCoyst is barely in the original draft she appears I wondered about that, yeah. she appears um right towards the last third of the story yeah. um because it's about the car wash. Yeah, it's about and the Davey. car wash. Mm. Davy was the main character. Um, it was really, I mean, so most of the novella is still in there. If you pick out all Davy's chapters or most of them, you can string them I together yeah, in yeah. the novella. Just about uh, there's, there was all, there was obviously things that like changed, um, but yeah. So McCoyst immediately was like, "Well, there's a whole story waiting to be told about her." You know, like it mentioned. Mm. You know, the novella had about about her trying to like gain redemption for a for messing something up but it never explained what that was
0: okay you know that yeah. was
1: that was just that was mysterious it didn't matter to the story at that point mm. so I thought well is this the whole thing that I ended up tying into Paulo and kind of so this the the plot then kind of got created around the characters and what they were doing and you know I added in a lot of stuff about Croker and what he was up to and Paulo. I did the, the Paolo chapters came quite close, was it was a kind of later revision and it was honestly one of the funnest things that I did. And I was really yeah. glad that I did that in the end. Yeah. Which just came, I think there was a bit, um Daniel the editor was like, there's he was like, how does Paulo know this fact? Like you never really go into that. And it was one of those holes that I was just hoping he never picked up on you. Know? <laughs> 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 he was hoping that he's, he's missing it. But then so then I actually thought well let's just see what Paulo's up to during the story. Every now and then we'll drop in on him. See what he's up to, trying to unravel the story from his end, almost like a detective himself, but like, yeah, yeah. Obviously, working the opposite way. And uh, yeah, and that turned into some of the most fun I had writing it. So I was really glad I did that. Um,
0: and it does, it gives it a lot more depth because, as you say, we understand when we read the novel why Ali is in this situation and why she needs this sense of redemption. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about her in a bit. But one thing I want to get to, first of all, is this humor um there's a lot of dark kind of laconic humor in the novel which for me kind of explodes or explores an absurdity the absurdity of life you know as you said those situations where somebody walks in and leaves a child in a car and goes off shopping it's just bizarre you know how, how the hell does that happen is that you is that your humor your sense of humor
1: yeah I, yeah i would say so like it's it's a kind of exaggerated i guess right. like on the page for my my actual sense of humor i kind of took the, take it to a further extreme, you know, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, I, I wanted to walk this line between really like grisly, horrible things happening, but yes, also right. it can still be funny. And it's because it is absurd in a way. There's an absurdity to some mm-hmm. of the, you know, I th- I'd say some of the violence is almost cartoonish, a wee bit it pushes towards that. And it's because it's is kind of, is, it's an absurd situation to be in. Mm-hmm. And although I feel like, I feel like I tried to get Dave's reactions to be quite, honest i'm thinking about how would i react and so he is. you know he develops he has all these like panic attacks all the time and things like that because so i feel like they're, like literally yeah I mean, if, if i was in that situation i would be a mess all the time yes. and so he is you know and then um, but just i also i think like coming back to glasgow again like i think we have quite a just you know i, I think people always have a laugh in glasgow no matter how bad things get you know like there's, there's always someone there's always a sort of gallows Well, people tell jokes at a funeral do you know what i mean like yeah right like there's always good. there's always kind of pattern going on, no matter how bad things get. And I wanted to bring out that that side of things. Mm. But I was I was thinking of thinking of like, see see the first series of breaking Bad, if you have seen yeah. it. Yes. It has a very, very dark it's, sense of humor. Yeah, yeah that's true. Think, it's it's totally different to the rest of the series, yeah, isn't it? Because yeah. I actually, I started watching the second series and gave up because I felt mm. like that was a lot it became a much more serious drama. I felt that they understood that the idea of this car seeker. Started to make crystal meth was inherently funny. Yeah. You know, it's, yes. it's 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 a kind of silly, funny idea, and but but they had they did make it grisly and gritty, and that worked. But they also kept you know there's a there's a bit in the first series where they try to melt a body in acid, and yes. it leaks through the tub and down into the floor, and the house is a mess, and they walk in and see it, and it is horrible, but also quite funny. You know, like it's and the reaction to it and everything. And no,
0: that, I really do. Something I agree. that I really like. Um, yeah, no, it was it was way sharper and funnier in that sense than the rest of the series which then had to get in the drama of the individual characters and it it lost something in that um that's interesting then because for you then how easy is it writing that comedy i mean does it sort of come naturally as you're telling the story and you've just got those situations and they come up that way or do you have to think about the comedy
1: yeah, a mixture of both. Sometimes that you just kind of write in the flow, and just funny things just kind of pop in your head. You know, especially in the early drafts when you're just shoving everything down, that you're kind of everything that pops into your head. And uh, yeah, sometimes I'll have to think about it a wee bit, but yeah, sometimes I'll be writing a situation, and I'll suddenly think of something that can make it a little bit funny. You know, even if it's not, even if right. it's not totally funny at the time. You know, like, but just um, yeah, like the the voice. Um, it kind of goes back to when I started writing it because because um, I was wanting to do something fun that wasn't this like serious uh, historical mm. uh, fiction piece. So like I wanted to have fun with it. So when I was typing, I was just kind of making all these jokes and try to like uh, I kind of wrote like an, an like a really exaggerated version of like my inner monologue. Yeah, and then, yeah. Um, I kind I wanted I wanted the narrator to be quite like he he almost, he's almost like the narrator almost has its own personality and kind of yeah, like yeah, what what's me. going on a wee, a wee bit judgmental mm. <laughs> characters and situations a wee bit like um uh, i kind of i kind of wanted to do that not just not just a completely clean style you know you know like, um like the narrator sometimes kind of disappears doesn't it in a really yeah. well written no i you
0: know, agree story. with you yeah that voice in in the novel it's important it matters yeah you know, it does add to the novel yeah so i kind of wanted it to be almost like
1: someone telling you this story and Mm. almost voicing their own opinions on it as they go as you would if you were kind of if you were telling someone a tale or whatever and then so that part of the humor comes from that but also like sometimes I'd just be walking about and something would pop into my head and I'd write it down thinking that would be like Paolo could say that that's a funny thing for Paolo to say like you know like yeah his kind of quips and his jokes and his really like vicious sense of humor that he has you know he's quite horrible to people in a way that is funny you know like a John Niven was, like, a really big influence for me. Right, yeah, sort of thing, right. Like, kill, kill Your Friends, and, mm. yeah. That's a book that, I feel like, every time I read it, it makes me laugh. No, I've read it quite a few times now, and every, I go back to it now and again, and just, but yeah, the sense of humor is horrible. And when they made the film, it's so toned down. Mm. Because I th- I think, yeah, the climate's different. I don't think, like, because the, the in in the book, uh, the narrator, Stephen Fox he's... He's he's a horrible misogynist, he's a racist, he's mm. a hope of hope, he's he's awful. Like and there's actually a point where John Nevin almost makes you sympathize when he's when he's down at his lowest point, you feel sorry for him. And I think that's like the power of his writing. Yeah. Because like such a horrible character, like you don't sympathize at all, but he actually makes you do it, you know?
0: Yeah. Okay, Even, that's interesting. Um, Let's talk about that in relation to your characters. First thing about Ali mind Allison. Uh, D.I. Allison McCoist. Is the name Ali McCoist. Now, yes. did you pick that deliberately because of the footballer?
1: Uh, not at first. I was reaching around for a name uh, just when I was writing her. McCoist popped into my head because a friend of mine when he was younger had a fish called Coisty because he loved to use Rangers. I loved Ali <laughs> McCoist, had a fish <laughs> called Coisty. It happened to jump into my head at that moment. I called him McCoist. And then I was like, oh, people would probably comment on that. You know, like mm. she's a police officer, her name's McCoy. So I thought that was kind of funny because it gave her this. In a lot of way, I wanted her and Davy to have lots of wee links to each other, mm. like, like sh- shared experience, despite their kind of different walks. Yeah, of life. right. You know, they both have these like failed relationships. They have kids that they don't see all the time. Mm. And I thought like Davy is constantly editated by people making jokes, car wash jokes. He hates it, hates the patter. You know, and then and I thought this McQuayes would have a similar experience with this neighbour, and I thought, why not? Why not go the whole hog and make her actually be Ali McQuayes? You know, maybe her dad's a big Rangers fan, but he wanted a boy, but he had a girl, that kind of thing. And so she has to put up with people calling her Ally all the time, and
0: then and I thought that I thought that was funny. It worked, either. yeah. Oh no, it is funny and it does work. It works because, of course, the thing is, as we know, that she needs redemption because Ali made this mistake at the start, as you pointed out with Paula mcguinn And one of the first things about her is her colleagues are kind of suspicious of Ali. So they're not sure whether she's either corrupt or incompetent. And there's that sort of thing around her character whereas i get the feeling i mean i don't know the man but i just get the feeling that ali mccoy seems to be a really lovely kind of bloke and it yeah. kind of was a nice contrast <laughs> yeah he's
1: he, i think he's gained see after he's he did like the world cup commentary and stuff he's gained yeah a new fan base i think but you all like obviously, he's a, he's a ranger's legend they've always loved him yes of course but you yeah. know like he's got this whole new fan base now based on because people like his commentary style you know really enthusiastic he obviously still loves the game you know but yeah, he's also, he's from East Kilbride, which is where I'm from. They have a sports centre named that. Right. Like hometown Hero. So there's, there was that kind of link as well, which I thought, oh, that's nice. And then also my grandma was a huge Ali McCoys fan. I don't know if she really watched football that much, but she loved Ali Yeah, right. So it's I mean, kind of <laughs> even to her as well. It has all these, I was like, yeah, that's just worked out nicely. And everyone comments on it that I've spoken to about the book. Uh,
0: everyone's, everyone comments on the name. Yeah. No, well, I think, and that's a good point. It's nice, isn't it, to have something like that that makes people pay attention. You know, you just sit up. I like little jokes like that Mm -hmm. in books, you know, where you just find a name that connects something, you know, from a different era. you know, a different area or something like that. So talking about Ali now, um, I mean, I think she's a bit of a loner. So I I see it's kind of that what I'm trying to get at here is I think from this thing about her being not particularly liked by her colleagues, I'm not entirely sure that matters to her. But how would you describe Ali?
1: Yeah, no, I think you're kind of like what I always think is that even she's in this moment of disgrace. I always think that even going back beyond this, she would not have been that close to her. Comments. Yeah, yeah, I get that. She has this attitude that she is, that she's kind of surrounded by idiots. That's like, that's her kind of viewpoint, you know, like that's mm. everyone, no one, no one could do the job as well as she can, even though she's kind of screwed up and she's in, she's like, is, is her, um, her getting back to the top again is a, a more about kind of showing them, not really about, not, not so much gaining the respect, but it's just kind of telling them that they're wrong and she is right. Yeah, she is, you know, and they, they shouldn't have written her off and kind of getting back at them is, is, is and, and, but mostly it's for herself to prove that she can do it, that she can fix it and that she can get back to where she should be, you know, because I think everyone else, she, she, she mostly complains about her colleagues, you know, she doesn't, there's not many of them that she respects, you know, like uh, herself. Yeah. This kind of lack of respect that she receives, um, yeah. So I, th- I definitely think she would be a bit of a loner. She probably would not work well with other people anyway. Yeah, and she has
0: quite. She has got a gallows sense of humour, and yeah, you no, know, she does. And of course, the other thing is that she meets Davy, and she sees this redemption in Davy, and when they get together. Um, and I think it's best to leave that perhaps a little bit for people to find out for themselves how it all comes about. Mm-hmm. But when you were talking about character earlier, I find this really interesting because we don't have to love characters to believe in them, but you do have to get some empathy in them. And basically the point is Davey and Ali are both flawed characters. You might even say pretty flawed characters, you know? Yeah. Um, But what was, what was your thinking then? Because we actually, I believe we like them and you've made us like them. What was your thinking around that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'm of the opinion that you don't, you don't need to, the character doesn't need, you don't have to want to be friends with a character for the character to be strong and for you want to, to root for them to be successful. Um, but yeah, I think at the same time, I wanted to make sure that you could see them as vulnerable and uh, you can have access to their deeper feelings because they're, they're human in the end and everyone has flaws and mm. maybe not as bad as Ali and Davy, but like certainly you know everyone has their vulnerabilities, their flaws, uh, their regrets, things they wish they'd done the things that they wish they were better at. Yeah. You know, things that would make them a better person. And, you know, I the you know, Ali kinda she talks about how, you know, she's wanting to get her kids back and, and, and more in her life and stuff. But at the same time she continues on doing things.
0: Yeah, she can't help going to push
1: them away. You know, mm. like she can't help but do that almost. Um and Davey is partly the same, although I would say his He's he's more motivated to change almost like that because, yeah, a big part of the story is Davey wanting to be better and to get his kids back in his life, you know, and
0: trying to get out of this terrible situation. I think that's the thing, you know, it starts off that both of them make mistakes and, you know, stealing the car was a big mistake, the wrong arrest, big mistake. But actually, in both cases, you can see reasons for why they got into the mistakes they got into
1: yeah they were they were earnest they were they were um, yeah exactly they were dishonest it. mistakes. do you know what I mean they were they were mm. yeah, and yeah, I, I think yeah, that
0: I, gives them that helps them to bond them to us in a sense, I suppose, as characters, then you know we can like them more from that um and then and then you can see the element of redemption in, in this for both characters because it's Davy as well as as um, Ali, of course, as well. What about the other side of it then? um because we have McGrin, who's this gangster. And Kroko's also a gangster. And um, some nasty things that go on uh, around these two guys, these other side of the equation, um, some nasty things, as I say. But it's real. It felt like a kind of realistic view of, you know, the kind of situation that's going on in any city. There's a gritty side to everything. How do you see that and sitting with the comedy? You started to talk about that a little bit earlier. Yeah, yeah it's a balancing act. Mm. Because I didn't want to,
1: like, yeah, because yeah, especially McGuinn, you're, he's obviously he's involved in, you know, not like not just drug trafficking and things, but it's human trafficking, really, right? Yeah, yeah. Awful, he sells women and girls. You know, it's it's awful. it's grim. and you, I, I hope, I hope that I of show that side of it as yeah. well, cause in um in some of the the kind of more harrowing scenes, um. But yeah, you're right. Paolo himself is oblivious to the horror paulo paulo is a man who loves his job do you know what i mean Mm. he enjoys Mm. yeah yeah. he enjoys hurting people he likes you know he 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 lives very large i would say you know he goes out all the time loves his drugs his drink
0: um was it important to you to get that kind of to get some social issues in there i mean drugs is an issue sex trafficking is an issue um yeah well there's you know there's some serious issues in the book mm.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, yeah, I wanted to kind of, you know, having, having obviously when I was doing my journalism stuff, working around like issues of poverty, human rights and stuff, I wanted, and when I was, I'm saying a story in the East End, you know, like, mm. obviously poverty is higher than other parts of the city. And yeah, I wanted to kind of, and obviously these things go on, you know, in, in the rougher areas, you know, the, the parts that are forgotten mm. behind this. It's where people like Paolo can operate, essentially. um. You know where there's desperation, like that's that's where you can prey on people, isn't it? Like, um, so yeah, yeah. Putting in like, you know, I remember there was a story just the other day about people dying in a truck in Bulgaria, wasn't there? Yeah, right. Like yes, yes. Yeah, just awful. And obviously, it is. No, no it is all. On that, like, but I'm also and, what what kind of people are involved in this sort of stuff? And it's yeah, like Powell does not deeply care about these people dying in the trucks. He doesn't, you know. And mm-hmm. I think well, to
0: be in that trades. You can't
1: really care, can you? No, you
0: can't. It's really fascinating to kind of figure out, though, isn't it? How the hell could somebody get to the situation mm-hmm. where they really don't care about these things? Yeah, hard
1: to understand not. the mentality, and you have to kind of try and get into
0: that. Let's then, lighten uh, it up a little bit then, because I know that you yeah. heavy there. Um, but just there's an element of office politics. Or, or I was going to say, basically, I don't think you're a big fan of the police procedural, because that's not what this is about. Not in your writing, anyway. Um, but there's a fascinating element of office politics there around. Mm. Ally as well is not they did you enjoy playing with that
1: yeah yeah certainly yeah and I'm, although like i never set out to write a police procedural i like the genre i like reading it i like right yeah like i love i love james elroy's historical ones i like the kind of detail he goes into you know yeah. and all this you know he's always talking about characters phoning up pacific bell for a number to blah yeah kind of like, yeah right you Get all these tiny little details that like you don't really need them for the story but he does do it and and i like in the same way that i enjoyed writing all these wee bits all these wee car wash details to kind of give it a kind of realistic edge i think mm. you know like police procedural writers do that from their end you know about the yeah I see. but for, for me like it's you know i so i had someone who's in the police that i was chatting to about things and you know i would ask i'd want to know things like you know what what's like the office mess like what yeah is it right like? is it messy do people keep it clean like do you feel like do people get irritated like you know, not know just like i was just thinking like if you're, if you're in and out of the office as a police officer, you, you you are obviously out a lot, but the office stuff is still there and it'll mm. have the tensions and irritations of any other office based job, even though your job is like, you know, this important hunting down criminals, very serious. You know, you still have the kind of call center nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> you, know you do. Yeah, yeah, through, yeah, I'm sure you take it Phone calls, you know, people not tidying up after themselves, annoying people in the office that you don't like, yeah. people taking others' lunches out the fridge. And yeah, in, and it, politics, in Ali's case, it's like
0: to get up and down and all that. Like, yeah, people thinking about you know with Ali, like, do I want to get close to this woman because next week she could be out the door. Yeah, you she's know? out the <laughs> door. Yeah, or she's there's a lot of that there. going anyway, on as well. You know? yeah. yeah, nobody <laughs>
1: wants to work with nobody wants to take her orders. Everyone's yeah. pretend to be busy all the time so they don't have to work with her. And the, yeah, the boss is just giving her all the rubbish that he's kind of can't he can't palm off on any other officers yeah. and stuff. And she feels she knows she has to take it because she's like, um, because of what happened. So she. Yeah, and then she goes away. off and
0: does what she wants to do anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just, she, she,
1: she kind of knocks out the kind of easy job she's been given and goes and does, does whatever else she wants to do, goes mm-hmm. on her own stakeouts and stuff like that. So are you writing the next, um, Ali McCoy's novel then? I have my ideas, but I'm working, right. I'm working on something else that's set. Oh, right.
0: I know, because I know you had a two book deal, didn't you? Uh, no, oh, no, I, I didn't. I didn't. It was just. Oh, I apologise
1: then, right? For this one. So uh, I'm working on something else at the moment, but I have all my ideas ready to, right. to kind of sketch up for what happens to Ali next. Okay. Because um, yeah, I've, I've yeah, it's. I had I had this. I had one solid idea, but like what what I what about some of the other mm. characters and how Ali can fit in? it because obviously I've, I've left. I don't want to talk too much about the end, but there's always this enough, yeah, to yeah, move on. You know, like. Mm. For Ali to be a, to come back, for yeah, I just
0: story. I can tell. Kind of, mm. I think I can anyway. That basically, you you like to move on to something else as a kind of palate cleanser. Anyway, you like the idea of of not getting trapped in something, so you want to keep moving on anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it felt too much to go straight into another, um, to another straight away to another Ali McCoy story. Mm. I just because obviously you work on it so much. Because um, I mean that novella that I wrote was in twenty nineteen. Yeah, I didn't right. get read till twenty 2020, twenty contract twenty twenty one publication twenty twenty three. So that's a long time. Yeah. Oh, and I've, I've been doing different things when I've had breaks from, but always go back to Ali McCoy all the time. It's yeah, to uh, your point. You want to go on something else for a wee bit before I come back to her, you know, yeah. giving a wee break and then I can come back, kind of excited about, about yeah,
0: and fresh and and really yeah, give it a good am. go yeah. Because yeah. I'm, I'm sure some readers think that novels and they, they just come about, you know, they just you hand it in and then somebody prints it. And the next week it's out in the shops. And of course, there's it's nothing like that kind of process. Tell us a little thing I picked up the other day was um, Five Without Honour, Justified Sinners. You've got a flash fiction story in a collection.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, this is a collection put together uh, Is this great Scottish kind of cult writer, I would say, called Chris Kelso. Right. Um it's hard to describe what he does in fiction. It's very transgressive. It's, it mixes around genre. He's he's a huge fan of like William Burroughs and Alistair Gray and that kind of shows right. through what he does uh, artistically. But at the moment, he's been doing a lot of non-fiction and curating stuff, putting different things together. Mm. Uh, so yeah, he's put together for this American press called Anxiety Press, he put together a, like a Scottish writing sampler. So he's picked five writers that he feels like... Um, kind of like underground almost or like not within the mainstream and he's put them together he's he's doing a whole series of them actually so this is just the first one yeah a few so they're quite they're going to be quite short uh quite quite wee short books going out um so yeah i've ended up in that with a few other writers from scotland which is really nice um just a wee flash, a wee flash fiction horror piece i love I i enjoy writing So when it comes to short stories i i, only, I write crime short stories occasionally because i find mm. it hard to do crime is so like driven by the plot that it's it's hard to do in a short space I see what you it, mean. it satisfying mm. whereas with horror and sci-fi they're more ideas based and you can make a really great story in a short yeah. space so you can work more in
0: a sense on the atmosphere yeah atmosphere, the idea, and you can't quite do that with a crime story unless you've got some kind of fixed point of plot yeah yeah it has I, to be I, some I, resolution or yeah. All,
1: all the kind of crime short stories I've written have at least been like 5,000 words, which is kind of longish for a short story. Yeah. I'm yeah. Trying to get something compressed. Uh, yeah. yeah. Definitely not flash. I've, I've, I've never had a great sci-fi idea that I thought I could make a novel out of. It's, I feel like as soon as I start to expand my
0: idea past the short story, it's full of holes. Right. And I'm, like, I'm like, oh, I don't this Do you think you could go that way, though? I mean, Sorry, you know, but- you've written a comedy novel here. You talked about writing a historical novel. It, for you, is it sort of like the world's your oyster? You can do what you want to do, depending on how the ideas hit you and how you feel about your project.
1: Yeah, yeah. What, what I, what I feel I want to do at the time. Because I've written like some literary fiction, short stories. Which mm. that's all, That's where I started. That's what I wanted to do. Like re- I read this Murakami novel, and I was like, right, I'll be Murakami. That's what I'll do. <laughs> you know, I can. I get that sometimes. I get that. I'll read a book. Like it's interesting, there's books that I love, but they don't make me feel inspired to go and write my own stuff. And then there's Mm. other stuff that I really love and I'm like, oh, I really want to go and write my own story. And so I I end up copying styles until I kind of stumble upon my own thing, hopefully.
0: yeah, yeah, Which I think comes back to the point you were making about the narrator in the novel. That's kind of finding your own voice. Yeah, certainly. You know, putting it out there. One last thing then. How about a recommendation? We've talked about a few authors you like in that, but is there something you've read recently that you, you particularly uh want to yes, mention?
1: Yeah, um Kirkland Shikoni' uh series called The Polis is brilliant. And uh, also his his kind of his previous novel is called Happiness Is Wasted On Me. That's also fantastic. He's uh, He's. He's. I think he's one of the best Scottish writers working at the moment. Right. For my, I think is the happiness and waste is wasted on me is is kind of crime ish. I would say Sadie Call the Police not so much, mm. but he he calls them companion novels. And there is there's a thematic similarity when you read them both. They, they do feel like part of a set, although they're not like continuing stories. They're set in different times and different areas and stuff. But yeah, he's a fantastic writer. He started okay. he started in like young adult fiction, but these are his first two adult novels and they're brilliant.
0: Okay, I'll put that on the program notes so people can catch up with that if they want to. Um, and some of the other things we've talked about I'll put in there as well. But Callum, that's been really great. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been a great
0: talk. A really big thank you to Callum McSorley for a fascinating chat about Squeaky Clean his dark comic debut novel If you want a copy of Squeaky Clean you can of course order it from any good book outlet If you want to order it through us you can get it by clicking the link on the program notes and that will take you through to bookshop.org I'll be back with another interview very shortly and my interview with Jake Lamar about Viper's Dream in Paris will be coming soon too But for now, bye and thank you very much for listening